0: Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Hello, church. So, you have DNA from God supernatural, divine DNA, the divine nature, the divine genetic code inside of you. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 that we should put off the old man and put on the new man. What's that talking about? It's talking about the fact that you've got a new creation inside of you. Do you remember Jesus told Nicodemus that he needed to be born of the spirit, born from above, born again. That means put new DNA inside of him. And in Ephesians 4, It says this, put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. You've got an old man, your old DNA, it's growing corrupt. It is decaying and getting old, but it also tends towards sin. And we all have it. We will have it until we get to heaven. It's called the flesh. But Jesus said flesh gives birth to flesh. You have earthly DNA, but then you have the spiritual DNA. You know, I've heard about people getting DNA test results from various commercial companies. You send off some of your cells, they test them, they tell you which countries you may come from, they tell you if you have relatives living nearby and sometimes you can find your relatives, maybe you've got an inheritance waiting for you. They also can tell you if you are susceptible to certain diseases uh, and which race you come from. And I've heard people having some amazing surprises. The one that really sticks out in my mind is when you see racist people who think that they are of a certain race and that their race is better and then they get a DNA test and they see that they have other races in them. Hitler, for example, even though he was the ultimate racist, he thought his race was pure and perfect and he must crush and kill other races somebody did some DNA tests on his DNA after he died. The Belgian newspaper or news magazine NAC reported on these two scientists who found some of Hitler's DNA. They tested it and they found he had African and Jewish lineage within his Germanic lineage. Isn't that amazing? Now imagine Hitler had read that You see, if if you look at your DNA, we can sometimes convince ourselves of something because the devil lies to us. People around us give us a reflection of what they think is true. We go off on mistruths throughout our lives. But when we look in the true, perfect mirror of God's word, we see our spiritual DNA. And so just like Hitler may have had a revelation and a wake-up call, if he had read his DNA report, he may have said, wow, I've been wrong to think that these other races are are, are inferior because I have some of them in me. In the same way, when I read God's word, just like 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, when I gaze at God's glory as in a mirror I am changed into that image from glory to glory. When I see the DNA of God and realize it's in me, my spiritual DNA, when I read my report, it changes me. And so this verse in Ephesians says, "Put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitfulness." How do I put off that old man? How do I do it? Do I try hard? Do I Use self-discipline and effort and rules and willpower. No, because that's using the flesh to try and beat the flesh, and it can't work. I've got to use some new DNA. I've got to get a new injection of Holy Spirit life. 1 Peter 1.23 says, We've been born again, not of corruptible seed, not of fleshly, earthly seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And so I read God's word and that spiritual DNA starts to be activated and come alive. And as I gaze on it as an mirror, as I study God's word, as I read my DNA reports, listen to what it says, put off the old concerning your former conduct, the old man, verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's not just fleshly learning. It's not just self-effort and studying on a human level. It's spiritual. The spiritual part of my mind gets renewed and I start to see who I am. And as I see what God says I am, what I actually am in the spirit, it starts to change me. And he says in verse 24 that you put on the new man that was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So we're looking at DNA. We're looking at you as a believer and telling you, you have some new DNA in you. Study it, love it, worship God and realize he's put that in you. You can't be proud of it, God put it in you. And as you read your DNA report, we are changed. We are renewed from glory to glory into the image of God. We start to shine God. Just we're made according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We start to shine it out to the world around us. But we're also saying, as a church, this is what we believe the DNA is that God has put in us as a church. And we're mentioning four things. We mentioned the Bible, the Word of God, at the start. We said how we love the Word of God simply because it's the way we see. God and our DNA so we love the Word of God we rely on it it is the final arbiter and truth on every matter the Word of God then we said worship is so important to us worship we love it we are uh, wholly engaged in worship in every area of our lives it's work it's also uh, prayer it's obedience it's singing and praying and praising all of these are worship and this is part of the DNA of our church Bible, Word, worship. Then the third one is wonders, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't believe that the miracles of the Bible died 2,000 years ago. They are available, and even more so today. If we will ask God to fill us with His Spirit, He will use ordinary people like us to do wonders. And so we're open to the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit within all the different fireplace guidelines for this powerful fire. We put it in the in the right context like the Bible tells us and then it starts to produce amazing power. Word, worship, wonders. And the last one is world. We are intentionally world focused. So if you say to me, Greg what is your church like? I could go on and on and give you lots of characteristics but if you limited me to four I would say we love the Bible, we love worship, we love the Holy Spirit And we are intentionally looking outwards towards the world. Why is that a big deal? Because, number one, it's so important from the Bible. And I'm going to show you a little bit of that today. But secondly, because when we are inward focused, and it's naturally easy for us to become inward focused. You know, there are so many stories told, um, illustrations given of organizations, especially rescue organizations that were formed to help others, but the fellowship and the friendship that they experienced when they met together. So for instance, a group of uh, lifesavers, rescue boat workers, they were formed as an organization to meet together to go and rescue someone in the sea who was drowning and who was in danger. And every time they met, They would go out and rescue someone, and they would do a good job, and then they would have coffee afterwards. They would talk about it. They would get new members in, and they would train them on how to do rescue missions. And they just found the friendships grew, and they enjoyed their times of coffee so much. And they eventually became less and less interested in rescuing people, and just their friendships became the all-important thing, the reason why they met. And churches, my friend, are like that. We meet together, first of all, because we got rescued. The way we get in is we were one of those who was drowning in the sea. And the church was set up, every church was set up to rescue people and to look outwards instead of inwards. Their purpose was for the lost and the needy and not for themselves. But they found such joy and healing And peace and purpose in meeting together, that the temptation and the very, very real possibility, it happens so often, is that the church eventually becomes inward looking. And the way we know that we're inward looking is we care more about what makes us comfortable, happy. We care about ourselves more than we care about the lost people outside. Because it's very easy. If I meet with a whole bunch of other Christians, it's very easy to look into their eyes, to look into their faces, to hear about their lives and say, I care about you. I care about what you want. And that person might say, oh, but I don't want to plant another congregation in another part of, of, our, of our island because it's, it's going to be uncomfortable and I'm going to have to move and maybe I won't see my friends so much. And that's when we're looking at ourselves and when we're looking at ourselves Our purpose for existence has been taken away and we will die. Every single Christian organization that becomes inward focused eventually dies. They may continue to meet as a social club, but there is none of the word, there is none of the worship, there is none of the wonders in their midst because the purpose, which is the world reaching the lost, has been taken away. I don't want to ever be in a church that has lost its purpose. I know that you don't either. And I praise the Lord that we're not there. But I want to just reiterate it today. You say, Greg, why are you going on about this? You talk about this a lot. The reason is because we can very, very easily slip away from what is our main purpose to being inward focused and selfish and looking for our own gratification and our own happiness. And when we do that, we've lost our purpose. So we need to be constantly reminded, look out look out, look out. Yes, fellowship is good. Yes, teaching is good. Yes, all these benefits come, healing comes from being together. But the minute we stop reaching out, that healing will stop and we will have lost connection with Jesus. In John chapter 12, verse 26, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. You see, Jesus is moving. Jesus is on the move just like in the Old Testament, the Israelites had to follow the cloud, the pillar of cloud and fire. We have to follow Jesus. And if we say we love him, and if we serve him, we will follow him. He says, where I am, there my servant will be also. So where is Jesus? He was in heaven. Then he came to earth. The father sent him out of comfort. He didn't need to come, but he loved us so much that he became one of us and he became poor and needy and vulnerable as a baby. And he grew up and was subjected to all the temptations and trials of this earth. Why? Simply to save us. Simply to save us. And when he was on earth, Whenever things were going well, he didn't stay there. He lifted his eyes. He looked around. He saw the multitudes. He went to the other cities, the other side of the lake, the other sheep, because he was always reaching out. He said, for this purpose, I was sent. He was always reaching out for the others. Then he told his disciples to go. He said, I won't leave you as orphans. I will send my spirit, my Holy Spirit, And then he said, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So where is Jesus? He is in heaven again, but his spirit, the essence of him, the power of Jesus, the real Jesus is in Christians and he's looking and moving towards the lost. Now, when we gather together, he is there in our midst in power. And I'm so glad we're going to be meeting together again After a long lockdown, we're going to have times together where his power is there. But the purpose of his power is for us to reach out to the lost. Let me put a little picture in your mind. The day of Pentecost comes. The 120 followers, the faithful few, have been meeting together for 10 days praying. Jesus had gone up to heaven 10 days earlier. They've been praying. He said, wait in Jerusalem for the power of the Holy Spirit. They've been worshiping, studying, fellowshipping. And then the Holy Spirit comes and they have an amazing day on on Pentecost Day. The sound of a rushing wind, the fiery tongues coming down on their heads, then voices, uh, languages coming out of their mouths, prophecies, they're praising God. People think they're drunk because they're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But what did they do? If it was today, what if that happened today? What if this room where we are now was suddenly filled and there was powerful manifestations of the Spirit? Would we, like they did, go out onto the streets of Jerusalem and start preaching and telling people so that 3,000 are added? Or would we set up a website and a poster and say, come to our meetings, you'll experience great things and hope that the people came to us. You see, the disciples understood the reason we're filled with power is to go out, to be world-focused, And I've called this talk intentionally world-focused because we have to keep reminding ourselves. We have to keep saying, no, come on, stop focusing on my comfort, myself, my happiness, my experience, what's comfortable and nice for me, what's joyful for me. Stop focusing on me. Start focusing outwards. One more scripture. Matthew chapter nine. Jesus has been in his hometown And his home area and when he first arrived in his hometown they didn't really receive him but then in the areas around some miracles started happening a man was a paralyzed man was let down through the roof by his friends and he was healed Um, a lady with an issue of blood was healed A synagogue ruler's daughter was raised from the dead two blind people were healed a man who was mute because of a demon was set free and in verse 35 of Matthew 9 it says then Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people now we can read that sentence and we can say okay that that's fine then he went to the next place but would we have gone to the next place if we had seen miracles we've come into our hometown comfortable place where we know everyone Initially, they don't respect and honor us, and so not many miracles are done. Then a few miracles start getting done, and then we start having great success. Even though the religious leaders were criticizing Jesus, he was getting great success in Matthew 9. Healings, wonderful things happening. People saying, wow, this is awesome. Would we have then gone to the other villages and cities, or would we have stayed? This is our Jesus. This is our Lord. He says, if you serve me, You'll follow me. You'll follow me. You'll be outward focused. It goes on to say, uh, He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That's our gospel again and again throughout the New Testament. It's the gospel of the kingdom. Healing every sickness, every disease among the people. Jesus always wanted to heal. He never said no. And then it goes on to say, But when he saw the multitudes, and now we see inside Jesus's heart, and his motives. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Jesus was moved with compassion. What is that compassion? He didn't have any need to save all these people. He had a successful ministry. He was the son of God. He was going back to heaven. He had no need, but he was moved by thinking about the lost. He was moved with compassion It says that they were weary and scattered, or some versions say harassed and scattered. They were disturbed, distressed, not unified, not in any kind of body or group or family. They were wandering aimless like sheep without a shepherd means that there was no one protecting them, no one helping them, guiding them, no one feeding them. They weren't being discipled, pastored. And he was so moved with compassion that he went out, he preached, he healed. But then he said, it's not enough just for me to do it. In verse 37, he said, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest, into his harvest. Where is Jesus? If we serve him, we will follow him where he is his servant will be also. Where is he? He's in the harvest. He's out there looking at the lost sheep and he's saying, who will be my laborers? So my friend, who will be the laborers? Is it going to be a paid professional evangelist or pastor? Is it going to be someone who's trained and studied and ordained and we pay them, we go about our lives and we just pay them to do the ministry? No, It's got to be all of us. We are the laborers. We've got to be intentionally thinking church is not just an hour on Sunday or even an hour in the midweek when we have a small group meeting. Church is not just sitting in a pew listening to someone. Church is me, not the minister, me every day, every place that I am, looking out with compassion for the lost the sheep without a shepherd, the weary, and trying to bring them in and trying to gather them. It's not just enough to tell someone about Jesus. We've got to disciple them. We've got to train them. The Great Commission says we've got to teach them to obey everything that God has commanded us and get them baptized. We've got to put them into discipleship groups. We've got to build churches. So I've been a believer for quite a few years and I knew about the Great Commission and about Four or five years ago, the Lord woke me up with an audible voice saying my name and I woke up and I had this picture in my mind of being able to start lots of churches without many of us having to go there, although we must go as much as we can and we can still go. But the Lord showed me that using telecommunications, TV, radio, but especially the Internet, we can put the tools in people's hands to make them laborers for the harvest, you know. In a previous church that I was in, we tried to plant. I think it was seven churches, and only three of them succeeded. And the method we used was: I would, me and a few of our leaders, we would pick a person and we would say, "You are the one we think should go and plant a church over there." And sometimes they didn't have the vision, but because they were willing and Lovely people, they tried to do what we suggested and they would go. But I've believed now, since seeing what the Lord showed me five years ago, that another way of doing it, I'm not saying that's the wrong way, but another way of doing it is to throw the net wider and put the tools out there on, on the internet and say to people, What is God calling you to do? Now, you might say, I am called to be a mega church planter. Uh, we have people in various parts of the world who are part of our network, who are planting a lot of churches all over the place, and they're doing amazing things. Other people say, you know what, I'm going to start a little Christian bookshop or a feeding the poor ministry, or I'm going to invite a couple of people over. We're going to pray together or read the Bible together. Others are going into prison, some into schools, some are just studying and praying Some people just pray. They they hear what we're saying, they pray earnestly and fervently for the lost, and their prayers are enabling God's word to go out. But as long as we are world-focused, we're not self-focused, as long as we're thinking about the lost and saying, How can we, especially in groups of people, how can we join with others to reach the lost? So we set up leadinglightsnetwork.com, which is part of our church, but also includes leaders from America, Africa, England, India, various other parts of the world who have started ministries. We've got their input and their talks, and people are available in our organization to answer people's questions, to walk with them, to help them through the practicalities of, how do I do this? What do I do next? What about this problem I'm having? Please, will you pray with me? Um, What about this? Whatever the the question is, we're trying to help them. We are praying for laborers, but we are practically trying to equip laborers. And I want to emphasize, it could be from the very small to the very large. There is no difference. As long as you are doing what you are called to do the best you can in your environment Don't compare yourself to the very big evangelist or the very little. Just say, God, what have you given me to do? So we are intentionally world-focused. I just wanna challenge you. It's all very well to think about the big picture and organizations and other people, but what about you and me? Are we world-focused? Are we thinking about the others? Are we thinking about the lost? Are we like Jesus who, even though things are going well and we're having success and we're comfortable, he's thinking about the others. He's thinking about the others. In John 20 verse 21, Jesus said, as the father sent me, I'm sending you. Think about that for a second. Jesus said, as the father sent me, how did the father send Jesus? He said, will you go? I know you don't need to. There's no compulsion. You're comfortable. You're happy. But will you go? And Jesus said, yes. As the father sent Jesus, Jesus says to you and me, please don't be comfortable. Don't be a little rescue organization that's forgotten about rescuing. Stop thinking only about your own needs, your own healing, your own comfort, your own well-being, your own experience of God, and start realizing the reason for the word, the worship, and the wonders is so that we can reach the world. Please don't be a three-quarters Christian. We need all four of those. That's why we've mentioned four parts of our DNA. And let's be clear again as we summarize. As we look at DNA, as we look at God's DNA, and we realize, as in a mirror, that's inside of me. As we study it, as we focus on it, as we say, thank you, God, for what you are like, it changes us. We put off the old man who, let's be honest, is lazy and loves safety and comfort. We put him off and we put on this new man who says, I'm willing to step out on the water. I'm willing to try new things. I'm willing to risk. I'm willing to sacrifice for my Lord and for the lost out there. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is ready. There are hundreds of people all around you right now who need Jesus, who if they die without Jesus, they're going to spend eternity away from him. The harvest is plentiful and God is asking you and I, each one of us as a labourer, to just say, yes, Lord, every day I'm going to realign my focus. I'm going to be world-focused. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.